America has a new religion and is being forced on you and your children, whether you like it or not. I'm going to show you the proof tonight. And there's one group that always gets a pass when it comes to perpetrating violence. They are also the same group that's forcing that religion on you. We're in the days of Isaiah and Elijah and Jeremiah, my friends, when those who preach the truth get attacked and vilified. Plus, we discuss the very real science that proves what every human being knew until about five minutes ago, that men and women are actually different and they should be different. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Dim Hatch Live. All right, everybody, welcome into this post-Easter episode 28, season six of The Deep End, and I am your host, Tim Hatch. Welcome to the Tim Hatch Live channel on YouTube. Make sure that you're hitting that subscribe button, the like button. I know I have to ask you to like the video. It does help the algorithm. Thanks for doing that if you do so, but click the notification bell so that your smartphone can do something smart for you and tell us when, tell you when we go live. Welcome in. How was your Easter? Mine was great. I'm so glad that uh, the Lord is risen. He is risen every day. Amen. He rules and reigns. And in a day like today, in an age like ours, now more than ever before, we need to tap back into that truth that if Jesus Christ is raised, history revolves around it and my life should revolve around it as well. Let's take a look, though, at the crazy that's going on in the world and how we should respond as Christians. Let's do Deep End News. News you choose if you could choose news. The trans cult is seriously wicked. It is seriously wicked. On the heels of a transgender mass shooter who was shot dead, who shot dead six Christians before being shot dead by police in Nashville last week, police in Colorado Springs intervened to stop another transgender from targeting people and Christians from another mass shooting. Now, you did not hear about this on the news, and that's why you tune into tune into Deep End News. This is from the post-millennial breaking trans male arrested for planning Colorado shooting at a school, had anti-Trump manifesto. A trans-identified male who goes by Lily, although his given name is William Whitworth, was arrested and charged after police investigation in Colorado Springs, Colorado, revealed that the 19-year-old was responsible for threats involving schools in Colorado Springs. Uh, no, most notably, Colorado Springs Academy District 20. Whitworth faces charges of attempted murder for after allegedly making threats against schools in Colorado Springs, according to local news. Uh, yeah, there is one group that's going to get a pass by our national press on their acts of violence and their hatred, and that is the trans mob. And this is going to continue because the media and the outlets that uh, purport to be news outlets are lying to you. They're lying to you. They're trying to shape you. They're trying to marginalize you. They're trying to make you feel like you're the problem and everybody else is on the side of the trans cult. And if you dare speak up, you might face backlash uh, such as assault, vilification, losing your job, as people in my own church are presently doing if they do not acquiesce to the DEI mob or the ESG cult. And, and those things, one day we will go into a deep discussion on those as well on the deep end. But want more proof that there's one group of people that gets a pass on all their violence that they actually enact upon those who disagree with them? Riley Gaines, the swimmer who was beaten by Leah Thomas, that is a boy pretending to be a girl to win NCAA swimming competitions, went into the lion's den in San Francisco last week to speak at a college, a state university, about why men should not participate in women's sports. And what happened? She was assaulted. She was held for ransom. And she was vilified 
by the students of the school. This is reports out of National Review. Riley Gaines, assaulted by trans activists at San Francisco State University, the record-setting swimmer, who is actually the NCAA champion, by the way, of female swimming, not the man pretending to be a boy, a girl. Uh, she is an outspoken critic of transgender athletes being permitted to compete in divisions they self-identify with. She was violently assaulted at San Francisco State University following a speech on Thursday. Turning point, USA and Leadership Institute invited Gaines to speak at an event at the SFSU campus exploring women's athletics and the inequalities that female competitors could face against transgender opponents. Seems like a reasonable discussion. Gaines, a former NCAA swimmer from the University of Kentucky, was reportedly forced to barricade herself in a room for three hours for her own safety when student protesters became violent and unruly. She was hit multiple times by a guy in a dress. Uh, this is her husband speaking. It was uh, it made him mad. He was shaking, makes him sick, feels hopeless about it. Uh, she was under police protection and was still hit by a man wearing a dress. Yeah, this is where we are in our world. And in case you want the video evidence of the uh, transgression against Riley Gaines, here it is. Very tolerant people. Loving. Love is love. Hashtag love wins. It comes back in just a moment. Just give it a second here on the video. Love wins. Love is love. Loving. Very loving. That is the um, college atmosphere today. Remember when college used to be fun? Re remember when it was about rebelling against, I don't know, um, I don't know, teachers? <laughs> now the teachers are in on it. That's what the teachers of colleges and universities around the country, funded by your tax dollars, by the way, are creating. These uh, intolerant, hateful bigots who assault their opponents and pretend to believe that love is love and they are the tolerant ones. That's where we are as a country. And it brings me back to a scripture out of Genesis. You know, when you see the assaults, when you see the violence, when you see the rhetoric of violence, when you see the outlandish, uh, hateful posture of the trans cult, it reminds me of the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how does the Bible remind, teach us about those people? Genesis 13, 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And in Genesis 19, verse 4, they, the angels come to stay with Lot. And it says that before they could even lay down for the night, uh, the, these wicked men from the city surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out. We want to know them. That means let's have sex with them. Lot went out and said, no, 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 please don't hurt them. I'll give you my daughters. I mean, <laughs> father of the year there, Lot, anyway. <laughs> Let me bring my daughters out to you as you please and do them do to them as you please. Um, only do nothing to these men. They've come under, the, come under the shelter of my roof. Verse nine, it says, they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse 
with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men, these are angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. You see the parallels of the Bible days to our day? It's not new stuff. I say this again and again and again. This is not new. These are old demons in new times. Okay? Old demons, new century. That's all this is. And just mark it because it's going to continue because they get a pass. The transgender cult gets a pass on their violence. They also get a pass on trumping your religious rights. This is news out of Reuters. Schools transgender policy trump teachers religious rights. U.S. court rules. So goodbye First Amendment now. The inmates are officially running the asylum. This is an Indiana high school uh, where a professor or a teacher at the school refused to use a student's pronouns. Uh, the teacher's name is John Kludge. He was uh, exercising his religious beliefs. And they were outweighed by the potential disruption that his conduct could have on the learning environment at Brownsburg High School in Indianapolis suburbs. So more on this as well. The, uh, the school at first allowed the teacher to uh, just use the student's last name. Okay, you don't want to use their pronouns, their preferred pronouns. We'll just use their last name. We'll allow that. But the, but the students complained. Now, listen, the students complained and petitioned the school that he be fired. And guess what? The students got their way and the administration bowed the knee to the students, to the teenagers, and fired uh, Mr. Kludge uh, from his post. And then he uh, put a, uh, went to court against them to, you know, get some kind of you know, judgment against the school for infringing on his free speech rights and his religious liberties, which is exactly what happened here. And the Seventh Cir Circuit Court has ruled in favor of the insane students. Now, this case will no doubt go to the Supreme Court, where there is a conservative majority who will probably rule in his favor, but it will take years to get there. Until then, we are left with your religious rights have, have become subservient to the inclinations of teenagers who have been indoctrinated through media, Hollywood, and the educational system for, I don't know, 20 decades, that it is possible for a boy to be a girl and a girl to be a boy. Uh, this is the transgender cult. This is a religious system, and I will talk about that more. And it is hurting women. Where are the feminists who should be standing up and saying something about this insanity? Such as even more evidence that this ideology is hurting women. A 46-year-old man who pretends to be a woman is winning cycling races all around the country, won a New York City race recently, and claims to feel like a superhero after crushing his female competitors. He has won 16 competitions over the last two years. And uh, this winning streak has motivated a, an actual women's cyclist to quit the sport after losing to the man in recent competitions. So this is from the New York Post. A former women's cycling champion angrily quit the sport after losing to a transgender rider. A decision followed just days later by another trans cyclist declaring that she felt like a superhero for her women's race in New York City. Uh, champion uh, cyclocross rider Hannah Arensman bolstered her decision with a statement of Supreme Court filing on the issue. I have decided to end my cycling career. So, so here's what you've got. You've got men pretending to be women, dominating women in women's sports. Uh, this is from cycling to swimming to the MMA uh, sport, where women's heads are literally being crushed and beaten in by men. And women are quitting. <laughs> so goodbye women's sports. You had a good run. 
You had a goodbye women's rights. You had a good run. And it's amazing that the people who were all about women's rights for decades are completely silent about women's rights now. See, it's just an ideology. And that's that's really what you have to understand. This is not fact-based. This is not biologically based. This is not science-based. This is just this is just ideology. This is a cult. That's what cults are. Cults are not founded in fact or historical evidence or uh, from generations of doing good in the world and uh, advancing human flourishing. Cults are found to uh, focus on the individual. Cults are found to focus on your personal happiness at the expense of all others. That's what a cult does. And that's what the trans cult is doing. And this is all happening, by the way, while most of America disagrees with it. Even the Washington Post has to admit only three in 10 Americans say it's okay for boys to compete in girls sports. Well, the majority, far reaching majority say it is not okay. This is the result of a reality that I'm sure you can see for yourself that America's new religion is the LGBTQIA plus dollar sign percentage sign cult. Yes, LGBTQIA has replaced the faith of Christianity in our culture. A picture that floated around the Internet recently uh, is this picture of the new york city skyline in 1956 this is april 1956 good friday by the way three crosses illuminated on the skyscrapers of new york city to illustrate the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ but today new york city landmarks are lit up in lgbtqi pride colors and rainbow colors and as well as the new york city landmarks also the white house the state houses of your you know local governments and state governments are all flying the flags of lgbtq LGBTQIA. I mean, this this is the new religion. This is the new religion. By the way, amazing parallels here in these two images. On the left, you have an image of the cross. The cross is an image that says God, what? Gave up his son for you. And that is a powerful truth, right? On the right, those images, the rainbow, the gay pride, whatever flag colors, is you uh, giving up God for yourself. And then on the far right there, you see the pink tower lit up uh, at the top of the Freedom Tower in New York City. That is actually um, in in uh, honor of abortion rights. So so here's what they do now. They light up the buildings for LGBTQIA and abortion. In other words, no, 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 no. We're not a country that believes God gave himself up for us. We're a, we're a country that believes we should give up God for ourselves. We should give up our children for ourselves. We should give up whatever gets in, gets in the way of our own personal happiness. <laughs> this, is, this is our generation. This is our world. This is a cult. This is madness. By the way, the rainbow, ironically, is the symbol of the LGBTQIA movement. Remember, it was God's rainbow in the first place as a sign that he would never flood the world again. Genesis 9, 13 to 15 says that. He says, I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and earth. Whenever I bring clouds in the earth, the rainbow appears in the clouds. I will remember my covenant between you and me and all the creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy life. A um, couple of thoughts about this and you need to think about why does God use a bow? Why does God use a bow as an illustration that he will not judge the world? Because he judged his son on behalf of our sins. That's the reality. What is a bow? A bow is a weapon of an archer where he bends it back and he pulls and releases the arrow and the arrow shoots shoots perpendicularly to the arrow's bend, right? Well, the rainbow is bent with the arc pointed toward heaven. God's arrow pierces his son for our sins, ladies and gentlemen. That's the gospel. It's his arrow. It is God's rainbow 
not just proclaiming that he is not going to flood the world again with water. He is, by the way, going to burn the world again with fire, but not with water. But it is also a symbol of his age of grace where he has taken the punishment for our sins upon himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And further proof that America's new religion is LGBTQIA. This is news out of Washington, D.C. Walter Reed Medical Center, the largest army medical center in the country, just told Catholic priests to get out during Holy Week. Walter Reed Medical Center is down to one Catholic priest to administer the sacraments and the mass to its believing uh, patients. And the government, the federal government who runs Walter Reed has decided to get rid of the Catholic services that have for 20 years provided these spiritual services to um, our military men and women who sacrificed their blood for our freedoms. And they have decided to hire a more secular firm. A second firm, no doubt, will pretty much baptize all the Walter Reed patients into the LGBT cult as well. Uh, how do I know? Because even more proof that LGBTQIA is the new American religion. Uh, the Army, this is according to military.com, is going to provide gender tr transition care, surgeries, uh, and other things for transgender soldiers. So the great replacement of Christianity into LGBT insanity is deep and federally funded and forced upon you. This is America's new religion. Christianity is so 1983. I mean, it's a new day, people. Get on board. The crazy train is smoking right along. What do you need, by the way, to create a religion? Well, I know from history and having read about world history and particularly religious history is that you need a few key elements to create a new religion. Number one, you need a holy war. And the LGBTs have that and a holy warrior in Joe Biden and the administration running the federal government right now. This is Kareem Jean-Pierre telling about fierce trans kids, how proud the White House is that they, quote, fight back. Yes, indeed, they need a holy war. Kareem Jean-Pierre saying this has been one of the worst weeks of 2023 in terms of anti-LGBTQ bills becoming law. This is a dangerous, dangerous attack on the rights of parents to make the best health care decisions for their LGBT kids. They are resilient. They are fierce. They fight back. We are so proud. And that is your federal government's spokesperson right there. That is that is Joe Biden. Yes. Great uniter, Joe Biden telling the Christians in this country that if they disagree, they are on the outside looking in and they are the targets of the fight, of the fight for the LGBT cultish, cults, cult members, sorry. Um, even more ridiculous, you have to have forced conversions if you're going to have a religion. Uh, just like the Spanish Inquisitions and the uh, forced conversions in um, Europe uh, of Jews to the Christian faith, so too the LGBT squads and their powerful uh, allies are forcing you to believe that if you are against what they believe, you are on the outside. This is a report out of Hollywood. Uh, Amazon Studios scrapped a ranking system that showed the audience did not like fear uh, queer stories. They found them off-putting. So what does Amazon Studios do? They just ditch the ranking system. So, so this is how they continue to bend you into submission. They conjole you into submission. They force you to believe, okay, that if you don't like the queer storylines in our shows and you're going to say it and tell us about it, well, we're just going to remove the ability of you to tell us that you don't like it. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is an agenda. This is a driven, forceful agenda to convince you, normal person, that you're actually crazy.
to convince you, person who believed what all of human history said for thousands of years, men and women make marriage and make babies, to convince you that you are actually insane. <laughs> and they will do whatever it takes because they have no morals, they have no scruples, they have no conscience. All they have is a, an avowed commitment to self-actualization, to self-love. That is the religion of the LGBTQIA movement. And it is the new religion of America. You need to be aware of it because they are redefining every institution that we know of. And they are redefining family. They are redefining fatherhood, motherhood, and everything else. And what used to be in public schools, biblical instruction and prayer have been replaced by what? Gender affirmation and pride parades. They were coming between parents and children. They're coming between Christians and their neighbors. And they're vilifying you if you're a Christian and you need to be aware of it happening. Now, the question is, why is it happening? What is it all about? How do we get here? And some of you will say, well, this is because it's Satan. Satan's just doing what he does. And I agree. That's true. Satan is up to this. He is behind this. Absolutely. But he finds a receptive audience, doesn't he? I mean, he finds people who just freely embrace it. Well, how? Why? Why is it so easy to, to create this culture and this narrative in our country? Well, it's about the human condition. The human condition needs something more than the natural. There is a hunger deep inside the human experience for something more. And where Christian faith used to provide that for our students, and we did have Bible reading and prayer in public schools, before 1962, <laughs> it was commonplace. Um, well, that was that was meeting that need for for America's students. Bible and prayer. There is something beyond you. There is a great transcendence to be experienced in God, in Scripture. And you take that out of the schools, and you think, okay, we're going to create a secular, non-religious experience for our students. And now you haven't actually taken religion out, you've created a void for the need for transcendent for something more in their hearts. And so they're going to be susceptible and open to the cultish mantras of the LGBTQIA because what at the end of the day is transgenderism, but believing that your body does not match your soul. Really, if you think about it, it is the perfect demonic replacement of Christian faith and orthodox belief. Because in Christian faith and orthodox belief, we believe that our body and our soul are misaligned. There's, there's, a, there's a, a misalignment between what we are and what we should be. Okay, right? Well, what does transgenderism purport but to say that your body is misaligned and your, your, your spirit is misaligned and, and you are not as you should be. And so we need to fix that perfect parallel, albeit demonic parallel, to orthodox Christian teaching, the power of the gospel, and the work of God, the Holy Spirit upon your heart to make you what you should be instead of what you were. You see? So there is this inner need in the human heart that Christian faith speaks to, that Christian faith actually comes and answers. Yeah. You need something beyond the physical. Let me take you to good news uh, out of the church world. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. Yeah, the good news is that secularism doesn't satisfy and that people desperately are looking for God. Uh, this is the Christian Post reporting that church attendance was way up this past Easter Sunday. Uh, quote, since the COVID-19 pandemic began in March 2020, church services... Uh, this well attended may have been rare, but on Easter Sunday this past year, there may have been a renewed push to attend in-person worship services. And I lived through COVID-19 as a pastor, and I can tell you that worship attendance just 
tanked and came back, depending on how much your church opened up and how quickly they opened up, it took either years or months for your church attendance to come back to normal. But even in states, from this article, even in states like Massachusetts, according to CBS News, many churches that previously struggled to fill their pews in the first two years of the COVID-19 pandemic experienced more robust attendance this Easter. Many had only standing room uh, had only standing room on Sunday morning. It's glorious. It's glorious. I think it's so nice to have the resurrection of Christ brighten up, uh, brighten us after all these years of COVID. We're hopeful to God that this is a, a watershed moment for us. Trinity Church Boston member Austin Amaterorwa told the news outlet in Boston. So this is good, right? People are coming back to the faith, and I can testify. I can attest to the fact that our church was was flooded with people. All of our locations at our church was were flooded with people. We had record attendances across many of our locations. And yes, there is a hunger. The point that I'm trying to make here is that there is a hunger for something more, and that is what people are meant for. And if the church does not preach the truth, okay, and that's really the problem here. <laughs> the church does not preach the truth. And, and if you remove that truth from the public square, well, that void gets filled with distorted and manipulated false searches for something more. That's why the LGBTQIA movement is so powerful. I need to experience something spiritual. I need to experience something beyond me. We are made for something beyond us. And if we don't fill it with God, Satan will offer us twisted distortions. And the twisted distortion that he offers us is what he offered himself, what he sought for in himself in Isaiah 14, talking about Satan. I will ascend. I will become. I will make myself like the most high. I will be God in my own imagination. And this is the search that Satan sets his followers on to search to find themselves self-actualized. It brings me back to remembrance of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Uh, back in the 1960s, uh, Abraham Maslow made famous this triangular graphic where he sets the basis for what every human actually needs. He studied successful people and what made them happy. And he found that there was basically in this, in this graphic, five levels of human needs, physiological needs, the basics, food, water, warmth, rest. Then after you get those, you need safety needs like security. Then after that, you need belonging and love and relationships. And then after that, you need esteem, you need prestige or a feeling of accomplishment. And finally, after all that, you need self-actualization, actualization, achieving one's full potential, including creative activities or creating creative abilities. And Abraham Maslow believed this for many, many years. And then in 1971, Writing a book called The Farthest Reaches of Human Nature, Maslow acknowledged that this was still not enough. And mark that. Self-actualization, Abraham Maslow, student of human psychology, and, and a hero of many modern psychological thoughts, uh, lines of thought, believed that that was not enough. Self-actualization, focusing on the self was not enough. And he added, he added to the top of his triangle the pinnacle of human existence, which would, which would be transcendence. In other words, you've got to have something more than yourself. You have to be living, and, and what he defines as transcendence here is living with purpose and meaning outside of yourself. Isn't that amazing? The guy who literally wrote the book on finding meaning in yourself said, actually, yourself is not enough. You need something beyond yourself. You need meaning and purpose outside of yourself to find satisfaction. Now, his findings are in line with uh, Viktor Frankl's findings in the powerful book, Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl survived the Holocaust and he was brutally treated by the Nazis. And then he wrote a book about it. This is the book that he wrote. It's a powerful book. I encourage you to read it. It's a 1946 book. And it chronicles his experiences as a prisoner of war in a Nazi concentration camp. And then also, how do I 
as a thinking person handle these evil things. And what he saw, what he found in his sufferings were powerful. And he writes this in the book. He says, being human always points and is directed to something or someone other than oneself, be it a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is, the more he actualizes himself. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, true living is lived outside of yourself, not for yourself. And all of this lines up with what Jesus teaches us and is antithetical to the LGBTQIA trans cult because Jesus taught that if you want to find life, you have to hate your own life. You have to hate yourself. You have to deny yourself. You have to, you have to deny your life if you want to find life. He, he says in Luke 14, you've got to hate father, mother, sister, brother, friends, family, everything else, and even yourself if you want to be my disciple. Now, when he says hate, he means that you reject that in favor of what I'm going to give you. Your relationship with me will define who you are. So we only find ourselves outside of ourselves and in Christ, right? And we only find ourselves and our fulfillment outside of ourselves in others, like in relationship to others. This, this is why you can never truly be fulfilled if you're on this constant quest for self-actualization because you're not made for it. Which brings me to a discussion on mental illness. We have a serious mental illness problem in our society. That's why we have a mass shooting a week now. Again, take the Bible and prayer out of public schools. What do you get? You get shootings and metal detectors in public schools. But mental illness is, mental illness is living for oneself. That's really what it is. In fact, I have this definition I'm gonna put up on the screen. Mental illness is an obsession with finding in yourself what you are created to find in others and in God. Yes, that's what mental illness is. We are made, the science is there. You just gotta know, and, and the scriptures are there to teach us this, that you're made for others. You're made to live for something beyond you. And first off, that is God. You find yourself in Christ. You find yourself in God. That is how the scriptures refer to Christians, by the way, most often in the New Testament. You are those in Christ. It doesn't even refer to us as Christians very often. We're referred to as those in Christ. Then we are in the church. The church is a community. The word church in the Greek is ekklesia. It refers to an assembly, a group of people coming together. And so how do you find yourself? How do you get your mental life healed? You find healing in knowing that you are in God and that you are also part of a community who are in God. That is the cure for mental illness. Make no mistake, there's a reason why church attendance plummeting is congruent with mental illness rising in our culture. These things are connected. They are correlated. They are inversely correlated. The more you isolate, the more alone you are, the more detached from God you are, the more mentally ill you are. And that's why I will never apologize to my church or to anyone who complains that before you turn to the pill, turn to the Savior. Before you turn to the medication, turn to the spiritual life that is promised you in the Holy Spirit. Because, because this is where we are. Anyway, let's, let's talk about the idea of God, too. Look at how God himself is a community. The Godhead, three in one, right? They're a community within themselves, and yet they are perfectly one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're always praising each other. The Father praises and glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the works of Christ. And Jesus talked about how more, much more beneficial the Holy Spirit would be for the church. God's community is a, is, a, is a picture of the community that we're made for because we're made in His image. And to the extent that you deny that is the, is that is the extent to which you will find yourself mentally ill, feeling alone, depressed, feeling like you, you're not what you should be. 
And again, if you don't find this, if you don't find that truth, then Satan will offer you twisted distortions to replace it. How does Paul define the last days? He says it like this in 2 Timothy 3.1. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of self. And then I, I submit to you that lovers of self is the linchpin, the anchor of all the other wrong things that follow. Lovers of money, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to the parents. When you love self, you will hate your parents. Ungrateful because you love self. Unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. All these things, right? Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then this last line, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. That is the biggest one. And that, my friends, is the problem that we have right now in our culture because we have the trans cult winning the hearts and minds of young people and dividing parents from children and friends from friends and Christians from their neighbors. But we also have weak and anemic churches that are looking godly on the outside. They have the vestments or the appearance with the buildings and the rituals and the, if you will, sacraments of a religious institution, but they have no power of God because they reject what I'm teaching you right now in this episode. And forgive me for a little bit more teaching than normal on the deep end, but it's necessary because it pretends to this discussion. I give you two examples of churches that have, <laughs> these are the extremes, and I will give you, they are, they are isolated examples of the extremes of churches that have the appearance of Christianity, but lack the power. And they are two polar opposite churches. And I guarantee you, they don't agree with each other on, on many, many issues. And, um, you know, I even step into this territory lightly because I hate to critique churches that are a lot like mine. And one of them is a church that's a lot like mine. But, but first, this one, this church is nothing like mine. This is a Lutheran pastor that this week took the time to uh, defend marginalized Nashville killer by comparing that person to Jesus Christ. I, I kid you not. This is a transgender pastor named Micah Luegi of St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Fargo, North, North Dakota. And uh, he compared the transgender Nashville shooter's death to Jesus being betrayed and then crucified less than a week after the Christian school massacre. Watch. In their recording of Jesus' journey to the cross, the author makes a point of saying that the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. Those leaders were looking for any excuse, valid or not, to crucify Jesus. And they found that reason. And that reason was solidified when the crowd shouted to release Barabbas. They had their final excuse. They would kill the one whose reputation as a teacher and healer and whose mission of love and dignity was so very threatening to their own reputation that they needed to kill him in order to preserve their good image. It's baffling to me that someone's existence can be so threatening that people decide they need to be controlled, that they need to have laws made against them, or even worse, that the people that they find to be so threatening should die. There are a significant number of people who have deemed that the fact that the Nashville shooter happened to be a trans person, so it's been reported, is just the excuse they need to call for the eradication of trans folks. 
Okay. Uh, that's one take. <laughs> uh, imagine having the heartlessness to speak like that on the heels of the transgender shooters. Wicked, evil attack on Christians. I'm, I'm appalled. But, but that's one, I know, a singular and extreme example of the powerless, religious-looking churches in our country. On the other end of the spectrum is this. Keisha covers a discussion on the size of a woman's butt and demonic illustrations that would make the Grammys proud. <laughs> Am I talking about an award show at Hollywood? No, I'm talking about Transformation Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, led by Mike Todd, Pastor Mike Todd. Evidently, this was the Easter play that the church produced. Watch a short sigma, st uh, snippet of it. I'll see if I can scrub through. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead because we're gonna get flagged. They're talking about butts here, just so you know. That's what they mean by fatty. Hey, look back, fatty. Uh-oh. What is she doing? Friends, I don't have a fatty. True. Girl, we keep telling you it's okay. Your little booty matter too, friend. Y'all know <sighs> they don't be discriminating. So, yeah, that's Transformation Church, Tulsa, Oklahoma, led by Pastor Mike Todd. There is Jesus on the cross in hell, which is actually geographically inaccurate, <laughs> scripturally inaccurate. Um, and this idea that the demons were just kind of like rejoicing around say, uh, Jesus, that the demons were rejoicing around Jesus in hell. We don't have any evidence of that scripturally. He went to preach to the departed saints in Abraham's bosom and brought them out with triumph and brought the keys of hell and death. Now, full disclosure, the end of the show, which you'll see right here, uh, is more demonic imagery a lot of red man it's like the grammys all over again at a church on easter on easter and then more rapping and more lyrics and then more this is a woman singing like she sounds like a man and then jesus comes back and this is powerful i will admit he comes out of the comes off the cross in hell and you know throws the demons down and this is beautiful i love this imagery that's cool Really cool. Um, sorry, I skipped, I skipped ahead. But nonetheless, this is a, 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 a church like mine, honestly, that is trying to, I don't know exactly what, um, Mike Todd got up and, and talked about their approach for Easter Sunday. And, and here's what he had to say. In 2015, um, I became the pastor and I didn't know what a pastor did. And so I was meeting with a group of people and they was like, what should we do for Easter? I was like, I've never preached the Easter message. So I'm not going to start this year. We need to come up with an Easter play. And they was like, all right, let's do it. I said, but it can't be no whack, raggedy. Just, he got up. Like, it just cannot be that. Okay, y'all going to act like I'm the only one that saw like, oh, yay. 
That was good. Like, I was like, it's got to move people. And I really wanted to be focused on people who don't know God or are far from him. Because, like, usually Easter is like where we come to cheer with the people who already are on the team. That's called practice. Uh-oh, let, yeah, let me stop. I want to go after the people who haven't signed up to play the game yet. I want the person who feels lonely and isolated and like God doesn't care. I want them to see how amazing Jesus actually is and what God actually did for all of us. So I said, we're going to go to the edge on this. And they said, Pastor, how far on the edge are we going to go? I said, we're going to do everything short of sin. Oh, y'all, I felt the religious people. Their booties got tight right there. So I, I know this language. I know this lingo because I've used it. I have. I, I have a church that's very modern. We do a lot of lights, a lot of stuff like that also as well. And I've actually even used that line. We're going to do everything short of sin. But maybe, maybe it's time to move the needle a little bit further away from sin. <laughs> and maybe I'm getting old. And I'll freely admit, I'm probably just getting old, but maybe with age comes wisdom because I'll admit too that my church has done some stuff that I'm like, I look back on like, why, we, why would we do that? That's so stupid. The temptation of every Christian church, not every Christian church, but many Christian churches like mine is to say, let's be as relevant to the world as possible so that we can get them in and, and you know, get them to believe in Jesus. Here's the problem with that. Theologically and biblically, it does not line up. Unless God the Father draws the person, they cannot come to Jesus Christ. That's John chapter 6. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10, all that the Father gives me shall come to me and I will cast them out. And I will never cast them out. I will never lose any of them that the Father has given me. That's John chapter 10. Salvation is the Lord's business. That's jo Jonah 2 verse 9. We can't, we can't entertain people into the faith. If we entertain people into our church, then we become a church of entertainment and all we do is create a culture of consumers, consumer Christians, uh, entertain me, wow me today, pastor. And the moment that the wows start, you lose the people. I've been through that cycle, by the way, I've been through that cycle where the moment I declared truth to people who I had entertained for many years, they walked out the door. This happened just a few years ago, actually, right before COVID or during COVID. So be careful what you create. What a pastor allows, he then has to pastor into the next generation. And I think that we've got to get a little bit more sacred in our gatherings. Like when people show up at our churches, let's help them find um, Jesus. Let's help them find his truth. So, so you have on the one end of the spectrum, you have the Lutheran church saying, yeah, the trans killer is like Jesus. <laughs> and then on the other end of the spectrum, we got like Grammy demonic imagery in the modern culturally comfy church. And by the way, ironically, both churches have taken the videos down from their websites. <laughs> both Transformation Church and St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota have removed their Easter Sunday messages. Because here's the thing, uh, a world more churchy needs a church less worldly. Yeah, 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 that'll preach. A world more churchy, more religious in their LGBTQIA cultish atmosphere needs a church less worldly. And again, maybe, maybe I'm getting older, but the church is a sanctuary. The church is the mother that God has used to produce more babies. Yes, <laughs> the church is the mother of those who are in the faith. It, it needs to be a distinctive place for worship and holiness. 
I understand that our meetings should be open to anybody. And that's absolutely true. And they should be modern. I love modern worship and modern music. And I don't think we should hold on to old, you know, imagery or whole old pews just for the sake of old pews. That's ridiculous. Let's, let's make it comfortable. Let's make it a nice place to come in. And it should be attractive. Yes. But maybe when they come in, let them find true images of the faith, not false images of the world. Amen. That's what I'm thinking. And anyway, that's the news. And it was a long segment. Now let's do a deep endopedia on something that has to be talked about today. Are men and women really different in their brains? And the science goes both ways. I'm going to discuss that and I'm going to come with a conclusion at the end. Let's do a deep endopedia. So are men and women different in their biology? Is it nature or nurture? Are their brains different? Because their habits certainly tend to be different. Now, some say no and some say yes. The people who say no say the, 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 the differences in the brain structure of men and women are so small, so minute. There, there's no basis for saying that the sexes are different or complementary or that the sexes um, shouldn't just transition into one another because they're basically the same brain. Now, the leader of those findings is a person named Dr. Lise Elliott. This person is the um, professor of neuroscience at the Chicago Medical School, and she has a study. It says, massive study reveals few differences between men's and women's brains. So this is what the study says. Men and women's brains do differ slightly, but the key finding is that these distinctions are due to brain size, not sex or gender. Sex differences in the brain are tiny and inconsistent. One individual's head size is accounted, once individual's head size is accounted for, uh, the study goes on and says, male-female brain differences are also poorly replicated between diverse populations such as Chinese versus American, meaning there's no universal marker that, that distinguishes men and women's brains across the human species. Now that's her study, her findings. So basically what she's, uh, postulating here is that a lot of the studies that have produced the differences between men and women, this is why you have so many studies that produce, that find those results is because once those results, once those differences are found, no matter how small they are, those studies get published. But if there is no difference found between a male and a female brain, then those studies do not get published. And so when you only publish studies that find differences and no studies that find no differences or similarities, you have bias, you have scientific bias. That's her premise in this study that she released back in 2021. Now, this is, again, Lise Elliott, doctor, neuroscientist at the Chicago Medical School. Uh, I ran across something else that she said in an NPR article called Nurture, Nur Nature, Nurture, and Our Evolving Debates About Gender. Now, this Elise Elliott is all in on the transgenderism cult. She is all in on men can become women and women can become girls and how they feel is most important. So let's just affirm who they are. Uh, well, she says this in this article in 2018, and now listen to how she says it because it's important for the conclusions that I'm going to draw from, from this deep endopedia. She says, gender is unquestionably the most salient feature of a person's identity. Uh, she says, that's the first thing we notice about someone, and it's certainly the first characteristic infants learn to discriminate. For some two decades, Elliot has pondered and researched the origins of gender differences between boys and girls. She says she didn't start by looking at boys' brains and girls' brains. She started with an insight about all brains. More than any other organ, the brain is uniquely adaptable. Look at this last line. Designed to change in response to the environment. Did you, under, did you see what she's saying? She's saying your brain, far different from your you know, heart, lungs, liver, and kidneys, your brain is uniquely designed to adapt to its 
environment. In other words, how you think about your gender is in large part because of your what? Your environment. Now, I have no problem with that. That's true. Yes. Right. And, then, and then she says this. She says, my own research area has always been in the area of neuroplasticity or how our brains change as a result, as a result of experiences. So I'm always acutely aware that these little babies are absorbing things from the moment of birth. This is important uh, admission from Professor Elliot. And this is an important point for you parents who are listening to me right now. You can shape your children's brains. You can lead your boy to believe he's a boy. And you can lead your daughter to believe she's a girl. This is actually wonderful news because she proves that nurture is just as much, if not more, of an influence over the transgender craze as anything else. And let me be clear here, her findings are nothing new. Back in 2019, a report, a study was published in Plus One by a Brown University professor named Lisa Littman that showed scientifically that rapid onset gender dysphoria, R-O-G-D, rapid onset gender dysphoria, and a, 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 a tremendous increase in gender dysphoria among a group of teens was largely based on the socialization of minors because of who they followed on Instagram or social media. And so if you have a bunch of friends who are trans on social media, or you follow people who are trans, you will be drawn into that ideology and begin to believe that you're trans. This was a Brown University professor, not a Christian, finding these results. So the purpose, and I have it up here on the screen from the paper, uh, shows that parents report that their children exhibited an increase in social media internet use prior to the disclosure of transgender identity. Recently, clinicians have reported that post-puberty presentations of gender dysphoria in natal females that appear to be rapid in onset is a phenomenon that they are seeing more and more in their clinic. In other words, social media has everything to do with this. Social influence. Now, what did Brown University do with the paper? They took the paper and unpublished it or depublished it. I don't know what the correct wording there is. They removed, <laughs> they removed it from their journal of, Medica of, of science. And, and then a backlash was produced and the, uh, the paper was, the, 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 the professor, Lisa Littman, was asked to reproduce the study to see if her findings were true. She produced, reproduced the study. She had to do the whole scientific method all over again, over a different population, different control group, and she found the exact same results were published, were found again in the scientific uh, work that she did. So she had to redo the science that kind of went against the narrative, and she produced the same results, and then they were forced to publish the findings. This is, this is why you know it's a cult, because when the studies undermine the values of the narrative, the studies are depublished, forced to go the arduous task of reproducing the findings. And when the findings support the original findings, they have to then acquiesce. The trans code has to acquiesce and produce the findings because it is after all, after all science. <laughs> this, this, is, this is the madness of the trans cult. This is the religion that we're talking about. Men's brains and women's brains are different though, by the way. And people find that as well. This is from the National Institute of Health, National Library of Medicine that uh, women's brains are better connected than men's, uh, that they tend to be more social than men's. Uh, interestingly, it also this finding uh, shows that women express gratitude more naturally than men. And because the expression of gratitude serves as a moral motivator, these gender differences might translate into the stronger social bonds that women have, the larger social networks that women have, and the greater kindness, empathy, and help-seeking behavior found in women as opposed to men. Another study, this is from the Society, the Society for Personality and Social Psychology, says gender differences in emotion explain women's lower moral intentions and harsher moral condemnation. So this study found that men view morally questionable behaviors as more permissible than women. 
I mean, anybody with a half a brain knows that that's true. While women prioritize the moral foundations of harm and purity more highly than men. So basically, these findings say that men will take risks far more than women will. And when women make mistakes, they will obsess about their mistakes far more than men will. That, this is scientific findings. And, and my point in sharing all this with you is that there are people who say that it's nurture. These realities are because of your environment and they have been produced over time and decades maybe by your environment and that's what shaped you. And then there's other people who say, no, these are genetic realities. They are innate, they are, they are nature. And so there are differences biologically between male and female. Uh, just for another, maybe more humorous look at this reality, uh, one study found that women need more sleep than men because they use their brains more. <laughs> this is one of Britain's leading experts on sleep research says women need more sleep than men because they use their brain more actively than men. They need about 20 minutes more sleep a day on average. Uh, this also said that the more you use your brain, during the day, the more it needs to recover and consequently, the more sleep that you need. Uh, women tend to multitask. They do lots at once and are flexible. And so they use more of their actual brain than men do because of that their sleep is far greater in need. Uh, that, that's kind of funny and humorous, right? But it's actually kind of true. It plays out truthfully in my own home. I am married to a woman and she sleeps a little bit more than me. And, but yet she works a lot harder than me and her brain is always on a million things at the same time. I and mean, any married couple knows this, that Husbands, we can think about one thing at a time, but our wives can interconnect thousands of things at the same time. And they just have brains that can do that. And we don't understand it, <laughs> but it is, it is a biological fact that I have experienced in my life. Is it anecdotal? Sure. But the science is also there as well. So, so here's where we are. There are two conclusions that we can draw from on the human brain. And the questions that we have to ask is, is the human brain more based on nature and nurture? And why this matters right now is because in the trans cult, in the trans sanity that we are experiencing in our world right now, we have to ask a question. How can we stop it from happening in our own children? How can we prevent this from happening further? Because it's going to lead to further violence and madness. Look, it was just a generation ago when if you injected testosterone into a healthy young boy, he would become more aggressive and more violent and more angry. No wonder that women who want to be men become more violent, more angry, and more aggressive because they're getting the same hormones that we just a decade ago said was bad for men. So back to our discussion. Is it nature Is it for, or is it nurture? So the nature articles, the nature stream of thought says, uh, biological difference exists in men and women resulting in different behaviors later in life that lead to human flourishing when we leverage these differences for the propagation of the human species. That's my postulation here based on those who say it's nature. If it's nurture, in other words, your environment shapes you. Well, this is my postulation. Biological differences in men and women are formed by nurture resulting in different behaviors later in life that lead to human flourishing when we leverage these differences to the for the propagation of the human species. In other words, we can, we can arrive at the same conclusion. We can, we, can, we can help humans flourish. Humanity can survive this madness if we both identify that some of it's nature and some of it's nurture, and if we use nature and nurture together to shape boys to be boys and girls to be girls, then those boys and girls will hopefully one day marry and have children and the human race will not be extinguished as some of the climate alarmists want to happen. <laughs> I'm a little bit all over the place. I hope you're understanding. I hope you're following along. But let me just put it more conclusively, more biblically, if you will. Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So God's idea was male and female. By the way, God intended 
that the nature would line up with the nurture. The nature, how he designed, would line up with the nurture, how we handle the design, right? Let me give you a couple of examples. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. In other words, here's what God is saying to his Old Testament people. And I understand this is an Old Testament text. But he says, look, this is how I designed it. They're different. They should be different. And I want you to dress accordingly. I want you to nurture the nature. I want you to nurture the nature that I have created in you. Thus, a man should not dress like a woman and a woman should not dress like a man. God did not want confusion in his people. And, and that is important. Now, the New Testament, Paul talks about this in Corinthians, that a woman's hair is her gloria. A woman with shaved hair is a disgrace and a man with long hair. That, that shouldn't be as well. And nature teaches you these things. And, and then let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, where it delineates the differences of the roles between women and men, where in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if they don't obey the word, they will be one without a word, but by your conduct. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, don't let your adorning, this is the clothing, be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Let your adorning be the quiet, hidden, the, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which God's sight is very precious. In other words, don't, you know, dress seductively or provocatively to win your husband. Dress with a spirit of graciousness and quietness and submission because that will be attractive to men. And then he says to the husbands, and this is important, ladies, listen, verse seven of the same chapter, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life that so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this is a, a far higher command for men that your prayers will be hindered if you don't show honor to your wife, if you don't live with them in an understanding way. Now, now, here's the conundrum for men and women, wives, have patience with your husbands because he's trying to understand a brain that he can't understand. <laughs> your brain can think about 50 things at once. His brain can think about one thing at once. So your husband with one ability to think about one thing at once is trying to understand your brain, which can think about 50 things at once. You understand how God has put way more pressure on the man? By the way, when Adam and Eve sin, Eve is the one who leads the man into sin and God comes and finds them hiding in the bushes and God speaks to Adam and holds him accountable first. He judges Adam first. So the husband is the federal head. He's the authority that will be held accountable for how he lives and how he lives with his wife. The point, though, is this, that Scripture teaches you from Genesis to Revelation that men and women are different in nature and that our lifestyle should lead us in nurture to leading men to be men, boys to be men, I'm sorry, and girls to be women. This is how God designed it. Now, sin is a reality and the fall and the consequences of the fall are there. And so we're going to have to fight this at every level. We're going to have to fight this in the school systems. We're going to fight this in the political realm. We're going to have to fight this in our churches to make sure that we hold the line because this matters for human flourishing. And the conclusion that I'd like to draw here is this. Nature teaches us that we are different. Scripture prescribes that we live different. And our work to nurture children should support that. Because right now our world is desperately trying to rebel against this prescription from God. To which history says, good luck. Good luck, because if you reject this, you are going to reject God, who is the author of all things and the author of life. Couple of examples, like you, 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 you listen to Hollywood celebrities. I mean, enough <laughs> listen, listening to Hollywood celebrities. Harry Potter star Daniel Radcliffe promotes child sex changes, saying we should trust kids to tell us who they are. That is the mantra of the age. In other words, it's all nature. So they were born in the wrong body. So we should support that. We should promote that. We should let them tell us who they are. No. I'm going to go with Proverbs 22, verse 6. That is the parent's job to tell kids what they are. 
train up a child in the way that he should go. In other words, they may want to go that way, but you say, no, you're going this way. They may tell you they're a girl, but you're going to, no, you're a boy. And then when they are old, they will not depart from it. This is a cause and this is a fight to be had. A recent Gallup survey found that the LGBT identification ideology is on the rise, most particularly amongst our youngest members of society in the last two years. The percentage of LGBTQIA identifying adults in the U.S. is 7.1%, way up from 3.5% in 2012. It is, it is growing. It is gaining steam. And it is undermining your voice as a parent, your voice as a Christian, and it is going to ultimately undermine society uh, on, a, on a whole. Uh, you you got to be aware of what's happening in the world. I got one more thing to share with you. This is news out of California. Uh, I believe it's Chico, California. This is Aurora region who found out that her child's gender was changed by the school without her knowledge. The child is 11 years old. Her daughter went to school and this is after her father died. The, the mother's father died of, um, I get, uh, I forget what he, he died of a heart attack, I think. And then the mother, this woman in the picture here had a struggle with breast cancer. And so the child was going through this traumatic experience, doesn't know how to handle it, goes to the counselor at the school. And the school counselor says, well, you're just in the wrong gender. That's what's the problem with you. Well, how does the child go with that? Here's how the child goes, goes with that ideology, because it is top-down foisted upon them from the federal government, from the press secretary of the United States, right through the media and the cultural powerhouses of Hollywood, right through entertainment, right through the educational system, and social media, add all that to the mix, the, the nurturing of our culture right now is shaping kids to believe this about themselves. And the, at the first sign of trauma, they just say, oh, wrong gender. <laughs> and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is not the time to take a step back and see how it plays out. And now, pastors and leaders and Christians who might be listening to me, it's not the time for your church to try to entertain or to kind of win the world over with worldly ideas. No, this is our time to speak the truth, to tell the truth, to discuss these things from both a scientific and well-researched standpoint and a scriptural standpoint, as I've tried to do on this channel today. And I hope it's helped you. And I'd appreciate if you'd like the channel, like the video and subscribe and share. And another way that you can support us is head over to the shop, timhatchlive.com. If you haven't noticed, I'm wearing a new shirt. This is new swag, fear no evil shirt on. The left there, and I have it right here on for you to see. It's pretty cool, pretty cool designs. We're creating new stuff all the time. There's a Be Bold shirt there. Why? Because you need to be bold. <laughs> we need to be bolder now than ever before. And as usual, if you want to just support us financially, there is the Cash App, Tim Hatch Live or timhatchlive.com slash support. Thank you for your monthly contributions if that is you. That is the show, everybody. Thanks for being here. Tomorrow, I'm back with a deep dive as we conclude First Kings. And then we're going to start 2 Kings next week. This week, however, we will be having 10 questions with Tim. Your questions have come in. There's room for about two more questions, I think. So submit those questions. We will get them on the program. And I will see you tomorrow night for the deep dive. And I will see you Thursday at noon for the deep end. That's all the time I have for today. God bless you guys. Have a great night in Jesus' name.